People, this is Phil Rosenthal, and I'm on Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. Why aren't you listening? Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre and uh, our engineer Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is one of the most respected and prolific stage and screen actors of his generation. You've seen him in popular TV shows like Blue Blood, Chicago Fire. Brothers and Sisters, White Collar, Heartland, CSI, Chesapeake Shores, and Everwood. But it's his work on the big screen that's brought him the most acclaim and attention in memorable films. (laughs) (laughs) He's spoofing you already. (laughs) Yes, like The Ritz, 1941, Once Upon a Time in America, The Phantom, Smooth Talk, Dead Heat, The Devil's Own, Deep Rising, The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper, Mulholland Falls, Hollywood Ending, 127 Hours, and a movie we love to talk about on this podcast, Sidney Lumet's Prince of the City. Four decades ago, he he starred along with our recent... Gilbert, I'm falling asleep. Get to the point. <laughs> Cut to the chase, Gilbert. I, Get through I'm, that part. I'm boring Get, myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, this also, this also serves as Who your... Who wrote ob- this crap? <laughs> this will work as your obituary, too. <laughs> I yeah. will never let it climb. Yeah, yeah. Found dead in his New York My obituary said, I told you I was sick. That's yes. all I want my gravestone to say. <laughs> and he worked with shitloads of people. <laughs> blah, blah, and, yeah, blah. Yeah, Let's yeah. get talking. Oh, my God. And the Andrews sisters. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, the Andrews sisters. I appeared many times on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> Did an acclaimed production of Playhouse oh, 90. <laughs> all right, at least read the last part my so people know who it is. Real. Let's do yes. the silent film career. Yes. I was in Wings. <laughs> <laughs> Worked with Mary Philbin. Uh, okay. <laughs> Worked for Calvi Tree Service in Stanford, Connecticut. <laughs> Doc Boy at Yacht Haven. It's all good. All right, let's get to it. All right, Co-wrote do, films oh with Tony Do that Chapman. part so people know who it is. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Please welcome. <laughs> See, I rushed ahead to please welcome. <laughs> Please welcome. (laughs) I'm going to become Gilbert Gottfried tonight. The previous host of (laughs) Candid Camera with Derwood Kirby. (laughs) When it's least expected, you're You're elected. elected. It's your your lucky lucky day. day. Smile. Smile. You're on Candid Camera. (laughs) Boop. Nice. With the hocus pocus, you're a hocus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got it. I, all right, here's, yes, the, yes. here's the trivia. Who was on candid camera in the bookshop telling the endings of all the books to the Was it Woody kid? Allen? God darn it, you. Yeah. Yes. It yes. Was Woody Allen. Yes. A man you would later work with. 
I would. Well, how about yes. telling the audience who we're talking <laughs> to? <laughs> You know what? I'm going to go home. We're done. That's it. Yes. Let's, I'm the mystery guest. It's a mystery guest who we've talked about many times, yes. and he's we finally had, here. We had the very talented Herd Hatfield. <laughs> now, there's a reference. He's a movie buff, so he'll understand that reference. Was that picture of Dorian Gray? Yes. Yes. Yeah, very good. Yes. We have Clifton our Webb is here. We have our pal, the very talented John Hodiak. <laughs> I'll read this. Please welcome to the podcast a favorite actor of Frank's and mine, one of the few performers versatile enough to play Lionel Atwell Jr. (laughs) (laughs) To play J. Edgar Hoover, Jack Dempsey, and Ted Kennedy, the great Treat Williams is here. Treat, welcome. Thank you. I'm not familiar with your work. No, I'm not. I'm sorry. (laughs) Tell me what you've done. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing good. You do funny voices, don't you? Okay. (laughs) Animals. Aren't you two animals? You're an animal guy. I was the voice of Yogi Bear. Parrots and ducks is all I know from you. That's it. I used to do ducks. Oh, yeah, not that's anymore. Right. No more ducks. Yeah. Sorry, we leave yeah. it out. No more ducks. <laughs> We've all been there. Okay. Oh, Enough God. about you guys. Let's talk about me. Welcome, Tree. Now, <laughs> now, one, one open that door movie, for air. a couple of times on this show, we, uh, okay, Frank is leaving. Frank is leaving. Okay, my goal is Frank is leaving. It's just you and I. Yeah, guys. see, we we didn't like you as to a guest from the beginning. <laughs> to hell with him. Yes. Yeah, fuck him. I'm We're, back. I did, and yeah. it didn't go yeah. well. <laughs> he wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. We ended it. Hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> we have a sponsor. Oh, that. sorry. <laughs> We're done already. Okay. This is, this is never going to make the Are you distantly related to P.T. Barnum? No, but my uncle uh, uh, hated it. They hated each other's guts. They were both in Connecticut. My uncle was a senator from Connecticut. Okay. And he, I and, got Barnum, bad info. he and Barnum hated each okay. other. Okay. Now, Why? P.T., because P.T. was a, you know, he was a, he was not unlike Donald Trump. Ah, and we'll leave that alone. Okay. But, and so my uncle, who worked for government in a different kind of way, uh, was a senator, and he felt that Barnum was, a, you know, a snake oil salesman. But you are distantly related to a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Yes. Yes, Robert yes. Treat Payne. That's cool. And what's interesting about him is that he was a, a good friend of... Uh, the ex-president, uh, John Adams, mm-hmm. and during the trial of the Boston Massacre, he represented uh, the the Americans, and as you know, Adams got the English soldiers sure, off. Sure, sure. So I saw the so miniseries. He was, he was the prosecuting attorney. The other thing that I found of interest, there's a book about whatever happened to all the signers. His son married an actress, and he disowned him for it. Wow. So... <laughs> I don't think he and That's I would telling. be would be close. Yeah, uh, but yeah. it's pr- quite an honor. He's married in the he's, he's buried in the in the granary in in uh, up in Boston, mm-hmm. and that's kind of cool to see my name. Yeah, up there. Yeah, on it's the just dec- cool. On the it's declaration. just cool to have a relative who signed the declaration. Yeah, and I don't think he owned slaves, which is kind of cool. That's most of them did. So cooler that was, still. That was pretty cool. Yeah. <clears throat> we were talking before we turned the mics on about how nobody remembers anybody anymore. No, yes. Treat was saying how people that he does, don't know yeah, who like Humphrey I Bogart saying, is. I met someone who doesn't remember David Letterman. He was on the air like a month ago. 
We were Rick Dreyfus and I were having dinner on a film that fell apart. We were out in Youngstown, Ohio. We were talking about the movie and all. And, and what happens is you use you have references mm-hmm. when you're doing a movie. And we referenced Jimmy Stewart in the films of Frank Capra. And the set designer said, I'm sorry, who's Jimmy Stewart? Incredible. And Richard and I went into shock. Yeah. Uh, you can't. How do you talk to someone in your business who who isn't interested in the history of film and isn't interested in, in starting with the, with silent films? Bizarre. And the comedies right. of the twenties, right. and then the screwball comedies of the thirties and the forties, and then film noir in the fifties. Sure. You'd think that kids who came out of film school would know these films or get that basic and, education. And I, I don't want to be the old guy who is. I know, but but it's true. There's they're they're not interested in in, in the stuff that we grew up studying it's part of why we do this they, too they did we're the only ones left well, just us three no one's listening to this podcast <laughs> they they did a review of benicio del toro's the wolf man and the guy said it would be good if the movie had him as someone who wants to be cured of this problem like and then he gave us an example of uh, the incredible hulk yeah and i said no like the wolf man. <laughs> <laughs> Too far back. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. But your local theater was the Avon Theater? And, and One you of would, them. Yeah, I grew well, up, I was born in Stanford, Connecticut. Yeah. There were three theaters. There was the Stanford Theater, the Avon, and the other one, I'll think of it, uh, there were three. And then there was the Darien Theater, which okay. was in, in near Rowayton, where I grew up. So those four theaters were the theaters. But Stanford was where I did my first theater. It's where I had my first two jobs. I actually was a dock boy at Yacht Haven. And one day I carried the spaghetti already pre-made with Frank Sinatra and and his wife to his boat. And I was a dock boy there. Wow. Oh, boy. Mia Farrow was the wife. Wow. <laughs> Women were falling off the bows That's of their boats. That's cool. I'd, ne- I'd never really been around that kind of... Uh, Fame. Uh, I mean, superstardom, yeah. where people were basically falling all over themselves. And he was very, very polite, very kind. You know, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, be careful, that's hot. I've never <laughs> forgotten that. That stayed with you. Yeah. Oh, it's, it stayed with me for life. So it's the deepest thing I've ever heard from a celebrity. <laughs> a couple of times on this show, we do a thing where we recommend movies no. to watch. And one that I recommended that we both love and is uh, Sidney Lumet's Prince of the City. Yeah, we did a whole episode about yeah, it. Yeah, I heard. Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful. Because it, it's funny, like Sidney Lumet also did Serpico, which is similar because it also deals with police corruption. But whereas Serpico, which was a great film, it's very black and white. It's Serpico's good, the cops are bad. And in Prince of the City, it's more gray area. Like you're going, okay, the cops are doing bad things, but they're they're not bad guys. No. Yeah. And you don't know who to side with in Prince of the City. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of an American tragedy. I mean, very in much a so. way. Just rewatched it, and I think I think what Sydney and I, what Sydney explained to me was that once you turn, you can't turn back, and I think that was the 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 most important uh, point of the film is that this young man got 
kind of eased into it. You know, it starts with a donut. It starts with a free cup of coffee. And then you get into narcotics, and then it starts with starting to take a couple bucks here and there or stealing money off the guys that you arrest. And then it's right in the opening scene. The the cash, the the suitcase full of cash opens up. We don't see the guys take it, but it's pretty apparent that they're going to take it. And then, you know, uh, it was written so beautifully by Jay Preston Allen uh, that when Bobby has this, you know, argument and he says, these guys can't pay their dentist bills. They can't carpet the upstairs of their homes in Long Island. And these guys that are getting off are going back to South America and living in, you know, gigantic houses. And at some point, you know, you say to yourself, I'm going to take this money from him. It's never going to go back. They're going to. They're just going to get away with it. I'm going to keep it, and you 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 do kind of understand it, but it's not right, you know. So it's a very very great. You're right. It it was a very difficult, tough. And uh, uh, and it shows that the cops, even though they're breaking the law, among themselves they have like a loyalty. Yes. And in some ways, who are more trustworthy than the guys who are doing the good work. And I became very close with Bob Lucy, who who was the guy. We we remained friends for life. And I think the thing that was important is that Bob never thought he, he, his his tragic flaw was that he thought he con- could control. He was always so good at manipulating people. He thought he could control his environment, and then he got involved with people who were much smarter than him. And he hadn't been in that aura. He 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 was with other cops, people in his you know sort of world, and he was the most good, the best at being manipulative and and sort of controlling his environment. And then these guys came in, told him things were going to be a certain way, and he thought he could control them and found out that, no, he said, okay, I'm not going to, I just will not rat on my partners. But he lost control of it. And then things started to go bad and guys started killing themselves. And it, it, it became, that's when it became an American tragedy, I think. But it also was, you know, indicative of how cyclical corruption is in, in police departments. It's, it's, it's happened again. It's, we'll go through more and more. Sure. You know, it's cyclical in government, too, as you well know. It's happened oh, yeah. before. It's happened since. <clears throat> it's happening now. You made this movie. Yeah. Yeah, and it has to be cleaned up, and then everything's okay for a while, and then it goes on again. But but I thought Sydney did a great job in, in, in um, telling yeah, that story. Tell us yeah. about Sydney Lamette. How'd you get the part? Well, let, me, let me talk to you about uh, – this is something that, I, that I'm, I, I'm sorry for and about, and it's been with me recently in movies and, and, and everything I do, is that Sydney – and I'll do it in two ways. I'll talk about Sydney, but also the fact that Sydney came up through. Well, he was a, a very well-known actor. He yeah. actually was Marlon Brando. He took over for Marlon Brando in a play with Paul Muni. It was called The Flag, and 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 he was a very good actor. He actually starred in a couple movies. His father is one of the great Yiddish actors, uh, Baruch Lamet. So he knew acting and understood it. And uh, then he became a director and started directing myriads of television, live television. Uh, plays and he was given his break uh, uh, by Henry Fonda in Twelve Angry Men. That was his first feature, and he was off and running mm-hmm. after the film. But but Sidney believed that you rehearsed a movie like a play. So we went down on town on Second Avenue. Everybody knew their lines. We rehearsed for f- three to four weeks, and at the end of the rehearsal period, we did run-throughs of the movie, and everybody watched. Everybody else doing their scenes in the movie. I see. So we all knew what we were in. You'll go into comedy now, and you'll say, what kind of comedy is this? What's the energy? 
is it is it is it broad comedy? Is it subtle? I mean, you don't know because you haven't seen the other actors work. But in, back in the day, even in Hair, also, which we'll talk about, you rehearsed, and, you, and the director had a chance to work with everybody. And this thing Sidney did that I loved was you'd you'd get a scene up to speed, and he'd direct you and direct you, and you'd get up to a certain kind of emotional place that was the right place, and you'd finish that rehearsal take of that scene, and Sidney would go, "That's a print." And that was him saying, that's where I want you to be in three weeks or whenever we do it out of context. That's where this scene needs to be. And I want you coming in. I want your motor running because I've got everything. That whole thing about Sydney doing one take, the reason he did one take is everybody was good to go. Right. If the sound was good and the actors were up to speed and lighting was good, camera got the scene, why do two takes? He didn't waste any time. He didn't. And, no, and didn't waste and film. No, he yeah. didn't. And he was always, he, you know, he was kind of, neurotic about being on time but so that was that was the wonderful thing about him was that, that he was he he would listen forever if you needed to Lindsay needed to talk to him a lot i didn't talk much Lindsay i just Krause. wanted to do Lindsay, yeah. yeah Lindsay Krause yeah, needed to sort wife. of talk it out i was more let me just go do it let me try it and if you like it you know then, mm-hmm. then that's what we'll do he'd seen you in greece he'd seen you on no, stage he'd, he'd seen me in hair in hair i think he saw a degree of okay. fearlessness i okay. guess Okay. One of the things he used to say was treat. One thing I, I, I I'm glad about treat. He said he doesn't really give a damn what anybody thinks of him. He does. I didn't care whether the character was likable or not likable, or you know, I just wanted to embody what Bobby did you mm-hmm. know, and and the character and what he went through. There are some directors known for doing like like about a hundred takes. Like I think um, what was it Kubrick. Yes. Is one of those I could spend a day on like a five minute scene. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, and, and I know uh, <clears throat> Baruch Lamette uh, shows up in uh, The Pawnbroker. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a fan of his films before? I mean, you're. Yeah. You're, oh, God, before yes. meeting him. Because oh you're God. a movie buff. We all wanted to be Al and, and Bob. I mean, I tried to hide the fact that I'd gone to prep school. You know, we all wanted to be Italian, and, and, right. and, and I get to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I was, a, I, you know, I was a kid who wore penny loafers and, uh, you know, and shirts with my initials on them. When I, grew up, so. I read that that project started with De Palma before it made its way around you to know, Sydney. You know, I wasn't aware. I heard about that. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that. It, yeah. it knocked around a little bit. It was a difficult film. <clears throat> they wanted another actor who was a movie star, and they made Sydney go out and, 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 and meet with him, and that didn't go well. And Sydney came back and said, "You're still my guy." That's nice. So you called him a ball of fire in an interview that I read. Oh, he was extraordinary. Yeah, he was yeah. really extraordinary. I mean, he was, um, he was. Uh, oh gosh, you know, it's interesting to compare Milos and Sydney. Like Milos was the kind of director he d- he didn't do lots of takes, but because we were young and starting out, Milos would wait you out. You know, he'd do, do it again, and actors would go over. I mean, he was talking to Mike Hausman, uh, who produced the films, and Mike would say, the actors would come over to me and say, why is, he, why is he asking me to do it again? What am I doing wrong? And Mike would say, well, go ask Milos. But Milos was of a European school where he didn't like acting, and he wanted you to stop acting. I so see. So he would wait for three or four or five or ten takes until you start, stopped acting and started to play. I heard about that with other I mean, what directors. We did, what we did tonight at the beginning is the kind of thing that a great director is looking for, where it's completely free, 
Spontaneous. We were relaxed. We weren't yeah. thinking about what we were going to say. That should be in a movie we just yeah. did. I'm serious. I, I, I think that's... No. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. No, that's comedy. Yeah. yeah. It, in, in its purest form. And when you see people trying to be funny and doing the one-liners and you watch the, you know, you watch the ad for a, a sitcom and you go, oh, yeah, there's the punchline. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's all you got? You know, you kind of go, I, I can't. Yeah, I can't. They, there's a few directors that will purposely rehearse something to death just so the actor won't act anymore. Yeah. He'll be too tired to yeah. act. Yeah. When you think of his body of work, I mean, and we talk Sydney. about, even, yeah, even before The Devil Knows You're Dead, the last film he made, mm -hmm. where he was just still on his game. I mean, that's a terrific movie. And what is he, in his 80s at that point? That's I mean, amazing to I think me. he and Woody had a lot in common. Because I worked with Woody Allen, too. Uh -huh. And I think that Sidney and Woody were like, that was their job. They could have been, you know, uh, uh, working down in, in, in the garment district. Every year they did a movie. And sometimes the movie failed, sometimes it succeeded. But that's what they needed to do. That's yeah. what they did. I make movies. Turn them out. I make a movie. I'll make movies. And when Sidney wasn't making a movie and things got slow, he wrote one of the best books about filmmaking I've ever book. seen. It's this big. It's very simple. It's very small. And it's the most concise sort of honest, uh, unpretentious book about filmmaking I've read. It's, a, it's a, a hard film to watch. I mean, watching the scene where you're, you know, you're slapping your you brother should see around. Me, you should be me watching the film. Trying is, it to watch. is it tough to oh, watch? Oh, I crawl under my seat. Yeah, I talked to Beverly about that. She said because you were learning to act as a film actor? I, I, I knew film acting, but it was just so, he was, it was so raw and so mm. emotionally just, he was, it was just, I, I went to places that in my life I had not been. I see. I had not been responsible for a friend committing suicide, two friends committing suicide. Right. I had not been responsible for bringing down an entire industry, uh, all the cops. I mean, the whole he brought down yeah. SIU, the Special Investigating Unit. And the sense of guilt... And realization that he thought that he was in control of something that he lost control of and brought this thing down. I mean, I don't know how people say in the movie, I don't know how you live with yourself, you know. One of the most interesting uh, experiences, and I realized how bad this was for Bob all his life, was Henri Bahar, a French journalist, was going to take me around. We were going to take him around New York late at night. So they brought in a police officer. Uh, a, a current police officer to make sure that we were okay because we we're going to drive around Manhattan late at night. So this cop and me and I can't remember a producer or somebody, and Bob was there. Bob Lucy, the star of the film, or the, the you know who it was about. Mm -hmm. And we're all introduced, and they said, "This is Bob. This is Treat. This is Joe. Whatever." And the cop looks at me and says, "So what do you think about this fucking rat? I mean, how can you play this fucking rat? How do you do that?" I said. Well, why don't you ask him? He said right next to you. Wow. That was a very uncomfortable moment <laughs> in my apartment. Imagine. Wow. Well, how did he live with it? I mean, how did he deal with it? He became a writer. You guys, you said you stayed in touch with him till his death. I, he know, only died a couple of years I ago. I don't think he was ever able to explain it. He I don't, I don't think how did he, he process it? Uh, Especially the suicides and... and, and well, I think at some point in your brain, you have to figure out that the guy was weaker than you were. Sure, you know? sure. I mean... If I were to process it, I would say, well, they weren't Jerry Orbach's character, were they? They weren't Les Wolf. Right. Les Wolf said, fuck you. So I did some shit. Mm -hmm. I'll throw you out on your pointy little head out the window. I don't care. This is what we did. And we did it, and I'm proud of it. And the audience cheered. 
Yeah. They loved him. Yeah, it's interesting. For owning it. Am I allowed to say these words? I yes, absolutely. Okay. So, so I think Jerry, you know, sort of was the hero of the piece by saying, this is what I do. This is what I did. And I'm not ashamed of it. And I'm not going to kill myself. You know, uh, that's what he says. I'll, I'll take this desk. I'll throw it out of the window. We put our lives in danger. There is a wonderful speech that I had where I say, you guys don't understand what we do. We go out into the jungle. We put our lives at stake every single day. And if we find money, we're going to take that money because these guys are bad guys. And we put our lives on the line for it. And nobody's, nobody's taking care of us. So I'm going to take the guy's money. And that's when I fall apart in that one yeah, scene. Yeah. And that's when they know they've got it's me. It's emotional. They've got me because I'm guilty. And I want, you know, I want to, to, to sort of regain my young Catholics, Catholicism. They, they show in the movie like... Even when they're finding out that that character's a rat, they're still remaining loyal to him. Well, I think, yeah, it's a difficult scene. The scene where I confess to them is a really tough scene where I say that I, 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 it's a great line. I say, I did, they say, well, Bobby, you're all good. You didn't, you didn't do anything, you didn't say anything, did you? And I say, I did some things. That's the most extraordinary line to me in the movie when Bob says, or my character, Danny Cello says, I did some things, and they're mm-hmm. all staring at me. And it's the beginning of the confession to them that he had, you know, talked. But he says, you know, the whole point is, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to bring you guys down, you know. And they actually show compassion for him at, at that point, because I don't think they still think that they're going to be brought down too at that point. Um, Good cast too, Balaban and and oh, Orbach Bob is, and, Bob is extraordinary. and uh, Carmen Caridi, who we just lost. Carmen Caridi. Did he die? He just died a couple of months ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was wonderful. Everybody was wonderful. Carmine, James when, Tolkien, when, and all those character actors. No, I was. It was an honor to be uh, to be in that cast. And you know, I read something Milo said about Jack Nicholson on on, on uh, when they were when they were doing uh, the film that Milos did with him, um, Cuckoo's Nest. Cuckoo's Nest. And yeah. he said that Jack was just like one of the actors. He there was no Hollywood. There was no movie star. Jack just wanted to come in and do good work, and I, I, I hoped because I was younger than most of them, that I would be that same guy that I would come in and just be one of the actors. Mm-hmm. By the way, there was about over eighty years of time spent in jail amongst that cast. I can imagine there were some very tough guys. Jeez. Bobby Alto was in that cast. Oh, Gilbert. that's right. Yeah, from Alto and Mantilla. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Good we God. love New York City movies. We just love, and that's what one of the reasons we love Lumet stuff. We love to look at old New York. Oh yeah, you know, in Serpico and and, and oh, bye bye Braverman, car chase. Yeah, oh, and in, yeah, and French Connection too. In you fact, just get when to I see when I run away when I run away from the guys watching me on eight, uh, on Eighth Avenue, yeah, just around parks, just around a corner from here, Sydney put the camera up on a building, and there was no permissory stuff going on. I was knocking people over. Oh, that's great! Up Eighth <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to come after me now. Uh, and then that he uh, could turn around and make something like The Hill or Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. I mean, and The Verdict. I mean, he just yeah. such a master. Yeah. Of the different forms. Yeah, I mean, the great directors, the directors that I love, are the ones where you don't see their imprint on the film. Yeah. It's not, you know, it, it, William Wyler is my favorite sort of oh, interesting. director of that period because a, there's no such thing as a William Wyler film. Right. His films were all completely the film of the yes. story and the period and the style is completely different in each film. He served the master, which is which is So the it's not, not like the Capra touch where you know you're getting a, yeah, a sort yeah, of like there's, a Capra there's room or a Sturgis that. or a Ford. Yeah, yeah and I worked was, with John Sturgis, Sturgis in The Eagle Has Landed. Uh-huh. So, and I loved him. 
there's a different style. You know, Capra had a style, but I love, I, I adore Frank Capra films. Well, you always talked about the old directors with the studio system that they said they were these kind of directors that if you said we're directing a Western, they direct a Western. If it's a love story, it's a love story. Well, Michael Curtiz. Yeah. yeah. Like Casablanca and Mildred Pierce. Yeah. And just, we just turn them out. Yeah. Yeah. I love the stories about uh, Curtiz. Yeah. I love the story where, you know, he said to Bogart, just look over there and nod your head. Why? Oh, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's when he's t nodding for them to sing, you know, the French uh, anthem. Mm -hmm. hey, Bogart had no idea. He just mm -hmm. looked over and went, okay, do it. It was like... One of the great moments in the film, and Bogart didn't know why he was doing it. You read Bogdanovich's book, uh, Who the Devil Made It? Uh, good, good, I'm not good, sure. You'll enjoy that. i get you a copy. It's a good it's I just a good finished, finished Milos' book, which I adored. Mm -hmm. I just finished it uh, this week, hey, which is Turning scene, Around, which is a great book, too. Mm -hmm. That scene in Casablanca where they're singing the French uh, yeah. allegiance, uh, trying to drown out the Nazis. That's wonderful. They said like the war was still going on at that time. And they said there are people there. The people crying were actually crying. Of course. Now I'm going to make I'm going to make him do something for you since you're such a movie buff. <laughs> Give him a little bit of your Peter Laurie impression. No, it's you who bundled it. <laughs> you, it's your stupid attempt to buy it. Kevin to found out how valuable it was. No wonder we had such an easy time getting it. You blundering fathead! You blooded idiot! Reek! Reek! Help me, Reek! Reek! You got to help me! You got to save me! I stick my neck out for no one. <laughs> there you go, Trina. <laughs> I was. I, Shows you, you know, what we obsess what about. My favorite line in that movie is, "Mr. Rick, what is the captain like? What kind of a man is he?" Well, he's like any other man, except more so. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's that line Sidney Greenstreet has, where he goes, uh, "Leaving Casablanca now." would take a miracle, and I'm afraid that the Germans have outlawed miracles. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> and yet the Epsteins who wrote that script were tired of hearing about it were they? toward the end of their lives. Somebody, Can you imagine? I heard a story that somebody actually put the script out as a modern-day film and pitched it to all the studios I'd heard and that everybody story. passed. Yeah. Oh, God. So going to the movies as a kid at the Avon and other theaters, and I mentioned the Avon because I think it's still around. Right? Mm -hmm. Didn't you do something? Didn't you and Be you and Beverly were at a were at a hair uh, celebration? Oh, just two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's nice to see that. Well, the, that I produced the original... a, I produced and starred in a film called The Congressman, and I mm -hmm. went down to the Avon about two years ago, and we we did a presentation. And there's a lovely guy, um, uh, Adam, who who runs the theater. How nice that it's still there. They're doing a great job. It's an art house now, and it's gorgeous. In fact, they've made two theaters. the The balcony is one theater, and the house is another. So we went back and did that, and that went well. And this is where I started. I did my first musical there. I did, I did West Side Story at the local high school. That was the first time I was ever in a musical on stage. And uh, then he said, would you like to come back and do hair? So I got everybody together. I got John Savage, but yeah, D'Angelo, Donnie Dacus, Dorsey Wright. We all came, and uh, they did a beautiful job. You know, it's a great print. It was, it was lovely. Um, but I went there as a kid. It was where I was born, where my dentist was. I had two, two nice. jobs. 
But I saw all the big the big movies there. There was a big movie house. So I saw Lawrence of Arabia. Uh-huh. I saw Sound of Music. In fact, when Sound of Music, uh, uh, when you know, I'd never seen a film that had an intermission. Oh, yeah. And when the intermission came on yeah. Sound of Music, I turned to my friend. I said, what the fuck is... What, what the <laughs> hell is that? Lawrence That's of not Ar- the end of a movie. Lawrence that of Arabia sucks. Had I want my right money too. back. <laughs> And I turned out I, you know, it was to go get more candy. And Lawrence of Arabia yeah, also, also had an intermission. And they yeah. had a thing that I'd never seen. I said, "What's that French word? Untracked? What is yeah. that?" And they played just black, just as the audience came in. You got to know that wonderful, wonderful theme. It's a it's a way of life seeing movies that way in those kind of theaters. It's I'm dis- so glad disappearing. I'm so glad I grew up when I yeah, and, and that's something we talk about on the show a lot. And then it's like how the whole life of uh, seeing movies in theater with an audience is gone. Yeah, just about. In L.A., they do a pretty good job. I mean, they've hung on to the the, Ch- the Chinese theater. There's the there's well, the Cinerama Dome. There's the you know, Tarantino I think, I think there are groups house. of people who really like this, and I think, to be honest with you, it's our job. It's my job to get my son to want to continue this process of saying, yes, it's wonderful to have a screening room in your home. I have a beautiful screening room in my home, finally. Mm-hmm. I was always the shoemaker had no shoes, and we finally put a big screen in our house in Vermont. But there's something about being in a darkened place with yes. a group of strangers who all come together to experience this extraordinary thing called film. Yeah. And I don't know how we, well, what we're doing right now is a way of keeping it going. It is an exquisite, almost religious experience. Uh, you know, uh, interestingly, uh, George C. Scott used to say theater was church. This is our church. Yeah. I think movie theaters are, in a way, a, a form of church where people come together and experience something as a group. And it's just very different when you're talking to your family in a room. And you're going to get your, you know, your pizza that you put in the microwave as opposed to sitting in a theater darkened and really becoming immersed in this event of a Well, film. we don't know Vermont. I mean, how are they doing in terms of preserving well, our that, theater, that experience? Well, our theater just closed. We oh, had an art house in town that that's just closed. It, it is. Yeah, because here it's happening now, left I, and right. I will do everything I can to, you know, to find a way that we can create something that people do want to go to. Um, I don't know if it was well run or not. I, mm-hmm. I, I certainly didn't support it in a way that I should have, but I'm, I'm not there half the year. I'm doing other things. And your son's making movies now. My son just made an extraordinary film. Uh, 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 I'd like to talk about it because he's, I think he's going to be a very, very good filmmaker. And he, he lived with the, the world champion beatboxers in Brooklyn. Okay. Gil Williams is in there. Gil. Yeah. For two years. And, you know, we were all nervous. He was nervous to see the film. And so he, he made a film, he followed them and, and, and did a film about these guys going to Europe and, and performing and competing in something that the, we don't yet know about. It's sort of a, kind of like rap when it started. It's an extraordinary art form where they take a, a microphone and it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They make these extraordinary sounds with their, they, they, they're beyond what I Yeah, can it's do. impressive. And what was I thought it was going to be like, okay, I'm going to watch like two hours of the guys making, you know. <laughs> and what it turned out to be was Russians and Koreans and Americans and Frenchmen, Canadians, all these kids competing, competing with the enormous amount of love for one another's uh, talent and, and, and work. And when one would win, the other would hug them. And I saw these Russian guys that were extraordinary 
just they were bonding in a way that I, I thought, why can't the people running the countries learn from these kids? So it isn't just about uh, beatboxing. It's really about our younger generations wanting to be close and wanting to share a common love of something. What's the name of the picture? Beatbox, Beatbox House. Beatbox, Beatbox House. Beatbox House, okay. Because the guys all we'll live together. It. and Oh, no, it will be great. And we're working one of the best sound sound houses here in, in New York. That, is that what your son's attracted to, documentaries? Is My that son gonna... is a writer, director, okay. actor, singer. He's uh, he's already surpassed me. Oh, nice. No, he's extraordinary. So it's going to be a great film, and um, it already is, and, and people are really responding to it. So Good. We'll look for it. Beatbox House. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast right after this. That's what you say. They are the two that you can find. They put a tiger in your tank. They're Gilbert and Frank. And now we return to the show. Okay, now one film I have to bring up. Uh-oh. Oh, God. <laughs> Here it comes. You're not going the... Yeah, Pis- I think you're, you're in it. You're not going Piscopo, <laughs> were are you? Were you in it? No, no. <laughs> 1941, were you in it? No, I oh. wasn't in that one. Dead Heat, were you in it? Dead Heat. <laughs> Lucky you. He was yeah, a corpse. no, I wasn't in it. I wasn't <laughs> in it. Do you it. know the meaning of the word nadir? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a low point. <laughs> Yes, I think we do. Okay, that, then we could move on. Okay, well, he no, worked no, with, I'll talk to you He about worked it. with Piscopo on Saturday yeah, Night Live. Yeah, on they Saturday were, Night Live, uh, I worked with Piscopo. Well, he was very good at his Frank Sinatra doing rock and roll. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> well, hey, listen, Vincent Price is in it. One of our favorite actors, Darren, Number one son is Darren in McGavin. It. Wait a minute, Key Vincent Luke. Price, Key. Darren McGavin, Key Luke, yeah. me! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> reasons to now, see it. Now, the movie was a piece of shit. Wait. But I did seven hours of makeup for a piece of shit because I had kids that were going to be in college. <laughs> Tell us about I own that. I'm owning the fact that I was in a piece of shit. By the way, that's not the only one. When Michael Caine got his first uh, nomination after like 20 years, he walked up to the microphone oh, yeah. and everybody looked at him and he said, I've done a lot of shit. Yeah. And he got a wild applause. Yeah. I can't wait to say that. Yeah. Jaws yeah, was, like Jaws tell, uh, tell us your worst pictures. <laughs> we already have Daddy. We had Erwin Winkler here. You know what Tell Erwin? me when you couldn't go to the toilet. You know what? Okay. This morning. Well, you know, it's weird because some of my worst pictures have become like, what are the, what's the word they use? The, cult? cult? Cult classics. Cult classics. Yeah. yeah. Dead Heat has a cult following. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the substitute has a cult. Following. A lot of people like Dead Heat. It's online. If you I think. Do the research. I think what Brando said uh, was, "You owe them nothing, but not to bore them." You know, like like a cult classic that I think is the kind of film that you really want to be in if you're going to be in a bad movie is like Mommy Dearest, where all the gay guys in New York are watching it and talking back to the screen, and it's the funniest experience. Yeah. One of the best experiences in a film theater I ever had was watching Mommy Dearest. Or Showgirls. Opening, opening night. Yes. Another film like that. It, it makes it fun, you know. Um, I've done over 100 films. I think we could, like, when you finish this tonight, I'll give you a list of 90. 
Let me do it. Let me do it this way. Let me tell you the ones that I like because it's more positive. I loved hair. And there's some that I have a kind of a. Yeah. They're not great, but I, I love yeah. the Ritz because I got to yeah, play a wild that character that. Uh, I love things to do in Denver when you're dead me because too. I got to play a, a you know a, a psychopath. Critical build. Hair, Prince of the City, uh, and then television. I got to play Mike Ovitz in The Late Shift, for which I was nominated for an Emmy. Yes. Um, I got. Uh, there are a bunch of stuff that Leone I, you know, movie. the Leone movie, our streetcar. Oh, once, once upon, upon a time, time in America. America. Yeah. Yeah, the streetcar Beverly and I good. did was very, yeah, very, very good. good. So there's a bunch of stuff that I'm really deep proud end of the ocean's a pretty good. But movie. I, I sort of, I don't think I, I could. If we went down the list, uh, uh, you'd say this is shit. I go, yeah, 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 that was real shit. <laughs> but you know, on the other hand, there's something people that love like like deep like Deep Rising. We spent six yeah. months on it. It's not a good movie. But it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, so it's the, full so, of axes in the head and people yeah, so, dying. And so is the Phantom fun. Now that's interesting. There is a another podcast that Gil told me about where apparently I'm the one who survived that, and that's the kind of thing I always do a movie. I think I'm, I'm you know, I'll talk about Phantom. That's a good. That's a good movie to talk about mm-hmm. in terms of bad movies. Mm-hmm. It was written by the guy, and I can't remember his name, but he Jeffrey Bohm. Jeffrey wrote uh, 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 Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, he wrote the the third one. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, I thought I walked it and I said oh this is great this is a comic book villain I know exactly what I want to do with this and there's this podcast called uh, What Went Wrong or What Happened oh it's, it's it comes out of here what's it called uh, it's uh, 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 How Did This Get Made thank how you Frank get made? I, I had a brain and, fart and, and Paul Gil, Shear Show Gil told me he listened to it and said that I survived it he said the reason I survived it was they said Treat Williams who chews up the scenery in the movie. I you had a do. blast. You do. Understood the movie he was in. But unfortunately, I was the only, only <laughs> one in that movie. I think that's accurate. Now, I have never sat through a screening of a movie in Hollywood next to the writer. We watched the screening of the movie, and I, I went... Well, I do what I want to do. I mean, I came up with stuff where when I was like fighting with Billy Zane with yeah, the rings, yeah. I thought I was running on the beach and I thought, what if these rings with these powerful rings back and forth, what if when I lean forward, I go past gravity? And they went, oh, that's good. So they rigged me up with a, with a wire. <laughs> yes, I just so watched it. I'm pushing toward, and this is my idea, pushing toward Billy and I go past the possibility and I'm leaning down almost to the ground and then I come back up again because he's like beating me with the ring, you know, the ring power. And I thought that was fun. That was the kind of like wild stuff yeah. you come up with. Uh, but I sat next to the writer in the screening, and when the lights came up, there was a silence. And you know, the, the director, I loved him. He was a wonderful guy. Simon Windsor. Simon should not be directing, you know, comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's coming off free willy. I love you, Simon, but uh, yeah, you free willy, but don't yeah. you freed me from from a career. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I, the lights come up and the guy, the writer, you just mentioned Jeffrey Bowman. Jeffrey Bowman just looks at the staring at the screen. And he goes, "What happened to my movie?" Oh, <laughs> oh, boy. oh, that's awful. So for me to talk about my lousy films, I'm gonna oh. hurt a lot of feelings. Oh uh, no, just, we, we won't go into detail. No By the way, you played it like I a- always say. They say you know you do a lot of shit films. You say yeah, but I got a nice house. Uh, yeah. and I got a swimming pool. <laughs> So shut up and leave me alone. <laughs> You're one to talk about taking a check in oh, bad films, Gilbert. Oh, Christ. <laughs> oh, really? I'm still Yeah, waiting. but it's just your voice. <laughs> it's just no, your voice. No, he's on camera in a lot of them, my Are friend. Are you? Okay. Oh, yes. 
I, I'm still waiting. I'm proud of all of them. He I'm was sorry. in a movie called Funky Monkey. Yes. That's my favorite film. Yes. <laughs> Bring up Bongo, whatever it's called. Bed, bedtime for bedtime Bonzo. Bedtime for Bonzo. I you... remember one movie <laughs> I had a part in, and the review was God Save Us All. That was. <laughs> all right, I'm going to tell you my favorite review. There's a, I have a boat on a lake up in Vermont. I have a boat, too. Yeah. So, so oh, bad yeah. movies got me a boat. <laughs> no apologies. And there's an island for... called called uh, Neshobe Island on Bobazine Lake. It belonged to Alexander Wolcott, who was the New York Times critic. Sure. And everybody went there. Harpo went there. Friend of Harpo's. Great book, Harpo Speaks. Yes. And he talks about yes. going yes. up on the island, stripping yes. off all his clothes, and then running back to yes. L.A. Afterwards. We had Harpo's son on this very podcast. Are you kidding? Bill Marks, yes. a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I'd love to meet yeah. him. Yeah, we'll send you the link. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Um, so there was, a, there was a... Alexander was, you know, questionably liked boys as much as girls and he met this young man from South America who he thought was an extraordinary actor and his name was Guido Nazzo. Guido Nazzo. And he wanted to make him a star so he put him in a play in New York and George Kaufman uh, wrote the review and at the end of the review he, he said, as for the star, uh, Guido Nazzo is not so Guido. <laughs> <laughs> funny that's funny you you played it sort of like a bond villain in in the phantom you just you oh, sort of like way you were having the bond. you no, were having a fun. cartoon bond villain you were having fun i was having fun but xander i was xander drax i was committed yes you know i was committed and i remember i had a line where i said inflate the boats when we get when we land at the at the, the somewhere and i did it in such a way during the read through i said oh yeah this is the guy because i just went inflate the boats and all of a sudden everybody went crazy and i went oh Okay, this is a comedic villain. You this saw is... him as Clark Gable on acid, you said. Exactly. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Clark Gable on acid. I think my favorite line is when you scream, the skulls have spoken. Well, <laughs> the skulls of Tuganda. The skulls of Tuganda. I thought it was, show me the power. Show me the power. And then I went, I love this. Yes. <laughs> I also liked it when I threw the spear through that was uh, great joe it was it was joe ranio i think and yeah. i i threw the spear through a guy yeah and while i was talking i ripped it out yes. his body without missing a beat yeah. yes i had a blast yeah. in that film I, it's clear and that could, you did I could did you have, tell us fun. about vincent price working with him well i didn't know him well he you know it was like meeting the most elegant man you'd ever met in your life he was sitting you know i met these guys after in 1941 i worked to shira mafuni yeah christopher lee sure I was Dub like, Taylor. All of a sudden, yeah, or, or you know, yeah. What's his Slim name? Pickens. Slim Pickens. Yeah, what a cast. Um, he came on set, and and I think at that point he'd been on so many movies, he probably didn't know which movie he was in, but he had this lovely suit on, sitting in the chair, cross-legged, just waiting for his moment. He was just polite and elegant and, and present and lovely. But it was like meeting, you know... Uh, the uncle you'd never met who who was just the nicest, most calm, reasonable. You know, here were these old pros sitting there at, you know, one or two in the morning, and I was getting angry because they didn't know what they were doing. And when you do an indie, you know that ha that's how it goes sure. sometimes. Since but you're such a film buff. I thought he was lovely. Would you like to hear some of Gilbert's Vincent Price? Of course. Okay. <laughs> I won't compete on this one. I can't do him. <laughs> 
Run, run for your no! Scream, scream for your lives! Scream for your lives! The tingler is loose in the theater. Everyone, scream! Scream good, huh? for your lives! We'll have to keep the guests entertained as we go. And, and my favorite part of that is after screaming. <laughs> Because the, the tingler was loose in that theater. He goes, we we now return to our movie. <laughs> <laughs> and tingler. You know the tingler? Oh, sure. The William Castle movie where they wired the seats. Oh, I know. You, yeah. Your butt got yeah, yeah, busy. Yeah. And yeah. Then they it, it, they and squirted it was, perfume in your face and water in your face. And, it was like a rubber centipede on a string. Terrible. Joe. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. So, since we, we, we all want to be so frightened by things. I, I remember... Meeting Vincent Price when I was doing Thick of the Night. Oh yes, and then in the Thick of the Night, I love them with Rod Steiger. No, no, in the no. Thick of the Night. <laughs> oh, it's a bad, a bad talk show. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, with Alan Thick. Yeah, and then years later, I ran into Vincent Price somewhere, and I said. You probably don't remember this, but we did the he said, I don't. Thick show together, <laughs> and he goes, "Oh yes." That was a terrible show. <laughs> <laughs> let's just talk about 1941 since you brought it up. Oh, let's because you're so much fun in that movie. I had and, fun, and, and your 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 ability with slapstick. You know, uh, the, I mean, the, how much work and how much prep went into that jitterbug was all fight scene? No, it was, <laughs> we worked really hard. We went down to a, uh, a guy that was, uh, you know, had, had been teaching uh, acrobatics. And uh, we worked very hard with Bobby DiCicco. And we yeah. did the thing where he runs up the yeah. wall and I flip yeah. him over the wall. And, uh, yeah. I hate eggs. And the late, great Wendy Jo Sperber. And, and the late, great. And also, what a, you know, when I think about that, that, that tank crew. Yeah, Danny Aykroyd, John, John Candy, Candy, and guess who was driving the tank? Oh God, I'm trying to remember. You don't see him much. Mickey uh, Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And myself. Yeah. Yeah. Great cast. It was lovely. Yeah. It was lovely. And Walter Matheson. Olkowitz. Matheson. We had a lot of fun. I don't remember much of it, but I know we. Had oh, a lot oh, I of see. Fun. It was one of those. No, it was just <laughs> it was it was a period when everybody was really having a lot of fun, and and actually we all worked very very hard and did all the rehearsal. And um, it was fun. John and I became good friends. And, and Belushi? Actually, yeah, and I yeah. have to say, I, I don't get to say this much, you know, this whole drug thing about John. We would go to Martha's Vineyard with our families and, you know, go clamming and drink beer, and there was no drugs, and there was a lot of... There was a lovely side to John that, that I think he's been known for being this sort of out-of-control drug addict, but, but he was... We should remember what an extraordinary talent he was and what a lovely man he was when, you know, yeah. when he was not... In the throes of Hollywood and all, and we were on Martha's Vineyard. He was delightful, and I remember, you know, my cousins were all at my house, and John came over, and he was very good about sort of surreptitiously letting him take take pictures with him, and and we went clamming, and we grilled him up, and you know, it was there were times with him. It was really just two guys who liked being in in the theater. It's a sad loss. He had a lot of talent, he had a lot of energy, a lot of passion, and 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 good work to, was left to be done. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, good, I think his death. Actor. I think his death was a wake-up call for all of us to sort of get off the train, and and uh, it was it was a you know I think everybody goes through their crazy times, but uh, you know he wasn't the only one. He just he got unlucky and and was a little bit more. The thing about John that was extraordinary was his his acting showed the kind of like complete yeah commitment. Oh, 
yeah to total to whatever he did and i think that's probably uh the kid from saturday night live the other kid uh, from uh, uh farley chris farley chris farley same yeah. thing just yeah. an absolute kind of if I do it, I'm going to do it 100. percent Did Spielberg encourage a lot of uh, no, uh, never, no experimentation. Steven. No, and not 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 drug use. I mean, creative creative uh, license among the actors. Let you take chances with things. And... Yeah, I mean, he was one of us. He was our age, yeah. so it was kind of odd. You know, he'd had this great success with Jaws. Um, I think he was in new territory for yeah. himself. He was lovely to me, lovely to all of us. He was very respectful to all of us. We think it's an unfairly maligned film. I mean, it has so many good things in it. It doesn't. It doesn't work as a as a whole piece, but it has wonderful things. Well, in it. I and, call it a kitchen sink comedy. Yeah, but it's a good one. As uh, those you know, but I, go. I think I think Stephen should be forgiven for trying. You know, I mean, look. One of the things about American culture that I that I find unfortunate when I went to England and I would go to the theater. I went to see all because I wanted to be a great theater actor. Mm-hmm. I had no interest in film, so I went and saw Anthony Hopkins uh, uh, do Macbeth. I saw uh, wonderful performances by you know Gilgood and Richardson. I saw wow. Maggie Smith do Private Lives. This was my senior year in college. But one of the things I, I noticed about the English theater goes was they'd say, oh, God, Anthony was awful in Macbeth. Awful. I can't wait to see him in the next Shakespearean play at the, at the National. They were able to forgive failure in a way that it was just a part of the natural course of things. Oh, how interesting. When you fail here, it's as though you're done. And I wish failure were accepted as it should be in life, as a part of, 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 of what we do. A yeah, part of we, the process. We all fail. And yeah. if we don't fail, we don't grow. What, what also always got me is when they'll give an actor a lot of credit when he tries something different. But then if he tries something different and it fails, they, they, they're unforgiving. Yeah. I don't understand it. I, I think it should be when that's what the English audiences and critics are like. It failed, but I understand why. You know, they had these guys used to be called dramaturges, and they mm-hmm. would they would describe a failure as a, a, a learning tool, not as that guy should never get on stage again or he's just so bad. You know, remember that we all used to look forward to reading those reviews by John Simon Simon, and, yeah. and they were they were horrific. They yeah. were you know he would just de- destroy women's facial features, yeah. and you know I I I think. The English weren't like that. They just really loved theater. Where'd you get that bit where you would change your face? Stephen. Yeah. I don't think I'd do it if I had my druthers. I, okay. I, I thought it was a little too cartoony. But Stephen had this concept of it being that the movie was kind of like, he said to me when we first met, he said, I kind of see this as being like uh, Roadrunner cartoons. Oh, because it's pretty broad. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I would, I, you know, there are things you look back on and say, you know, I would have said, Stephen, I, I just think it's it's not organic, you know. And, you know, I did it because Stephen asked me to, and I think, you know, if you go back to something, you'd say, I'd really like I think you're one of the best things in that movie. Thank so. you. But I think you, I, there are things I'd like to do again. But I must say, when I do something broad, I'm committed to it. You know, yeah. I mean, As I'm the, crit- I think I'm the only actor in American film who ever tried to justify eating shit for money in prison and kind of got away with it and things to do in Denver. Right. And then describe the consistency. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who's ever done that? Critical Bill is quite a creation. Uh, spongy. <laughs> okay. Have you so, seen this movie, Gil? You need to see it. No. Yeah. I'll make you watch it. You haven't it. seen it? Yeah. I, ha- I have definitely. to go. <laughs> <laughs> now, you also pop up in a movie, I don't know where or what scene or anything, but you're in Marathon Man. No, I'm not. 
He says, I don't not. know what that's about. Yeah. Oh. But I will tell you what I am in. I'm not in Marathon Man. I, no. the runner or whatever. That, that, they that, credit you as runner, unknown runner. I don't, oh, I don't so know. you're where, not. Oh, maybe I ran through a shot and they saw me. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I was jogging. <laughs> I ran through a shot. But I did go to England. Yes, well, Carrie. After Con to visit Carrie. And yeah. I have pictures to show you. Yeah. You can put them up if you ever do a TV version of this. And she said, why don't you run through a shot as an extra just as a joke? And I did. And then I said, "Okay, let's go have a beer." And she said, "No, no, no! You're, you're now you're in it. You're in for the for this whole sequence." So for three or four hours, I had this costume on, and I ran through the shots. And I have myriads. If you go online, treat Williams, Carrie Fisher. There are myriads of pictures of us in the Empire Strikes Back. I have never gotten more requests for autographs than I have <laughs> for my two seconds. I'm going to watch it tonight. What are you wearing? You dressed as a stormtrooper? I don't think the question is appropriate. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, we're on radio. Forgive me. Let me ask you. I can't see you behind the curtain. What are you wearing? <laughs> White taffeta. I can show you a picture momentarily. She, well, I'd love to see it. She, no, I had she, on the helmet and the thing. Oh, so you were a stormtrooper. Whatever they're yeah. called. I don't know. I yeah. wish I'd never done it. Oh. <laughs> You're still getting mail about, about this? Not now. Oh, okay. Everybody who wrote about it was dead. Wow. You know, but I, I'm the only one left. Wow. Let's talk about hair. And your audition, because Beverly told me a story about you grappling with one of the producers oh, and it's, wrestling it's, him to it's the Emil, floor. It's Emilish's book. Yeah, because you were fed up with auditioning. Well, it's it's a bit dense, but I will tell you the story. Jerry yeah. Ragney and Jim Rado wrote it. Sure. Jerry Ragney used to hide behind the seats, and when Gre- I was starring in Greece on Broadway, right. as Danny Zuko. And after the show, Jerry would pop up behind the seats. So it was obvious that he was interested in my kind of enthusiasm and energy. Very few have the kind of energy that I have, which is kind of bizarre. <laughs> I wish I had seen you in that. Uh, it was fun. And uh, when I went to meet Milos, the first meeting, I was actually very angry because my, everybody from Superstar was going in and I couldn't get an audition. And, and I finally, Milos came and saw Greece and, and I was asked to come in. And he said to me when he met me, Trit, uh, I saw you in Greece last night with Mikhail Berishnikov and you do something very few American actors ever do. You go completely overboard. <laughs> and I didn't know if he was complimenting me or just making an observation about my bizarre, you know, sort of approach to mm-hmm. the work. And that began a series of dance auditions, singing auditions, acting auditions. We'd go to his apartment and I would act in probably with seven or eight different uh, groups of people. In fact, I found out, uh, Deborah Winger came up to me and said, did you know that I screen tested with you? Just before Beverly came wow. in. Wow. And I said, De- uh, uh, I said, I was so terrified, I can't remember the day. I was absolutely, I wanted it so badly, you know. So I had done that screen test, and that was my 11th, I think, audition. And they were casting hair and the, uh, the play and the movie at the same time. And I went into this audition where Twyla and Galt McDermott and Jerry and uh, Ragney and Jim Rado and Milos were all in the room. And I was asked to do this monologue in the play of Burger. Because I didn't know if I had the movie, so I was auditioning. Sure. So I did the monologue. And as I was doing the monologue, I removed every article of clothing on my body. And I finished the monologue stark naked. Milos doesn't put that in the book. And I finished the monologue, and they were all just staring at me naked. And I said, this is all I've got. I've given you guys 12 auditions. This is really all I've got. I don't know what you want from me to choose me so it's all I've got and during the process I realized that Jerry was conflicted he wanted the role for himself because he had created it for himself 
but he was 10 years too old. So he wanted me to do it, but he didn't want to give it up. How interesting. When I finished the audition, he came out and with this big smile on his face and said, that was amazing, man. That was so great. And I was enraged. And I grabbed him by the neck and I threw him on the floor. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I heard the story. And Milos put it in a way that was lovely. I didn't want to hurt him. But I wanted him to know how angry I was that he was fucking around with my head. And that's what I said to him. I said, you're fucking with my head, man. And I, and he, then he got angry because he was embarrassed and he was, you know, and we got into this kind of p pissing match and I put my clothes back on and I said, fuck you, fuck this film, fuck everybody. I don't want anything to do with this anymore. I'm done. And I was crying. I mean, I was really emotionally distraught because I had wanted it so badly and I felt that I'd been pushed beyond you know, what I had to show to get it. What else could I do? And Milos grabbed me before I walked out and said, Tree, Tree, come here, come on, calm down. Come. He took me in a room, he said, calm down. He said, you're going, I, I'm going to give you the role of Burger, you know, uh, in the film. And just, But I can't promise it to you right now because I have to fight with seven different entities. Sure. But, but I want you for the movie. And he said, so don't take the play. They're going to offer you the play. Because they were doing a revival. And I said, well, does that mean I have the movie? He said, no. But don't take the place. <laughs> so, Did that calm you down some? Oh, yes, yeah. of course. I knew yeah. that he wanted me. At that point, he said, I want you. You know, I was up against, believe it or not, John Belushi. And uh, I believe that Richard Gere was up for it. Wow. There were a lot of guys that were up for it. And, um, you know, at that point, it wasn't about being competitive. It was about, at some point, you really do have some part of you that says, I, I, I'm not going to take any more of this. You put me through too much. That's interesting. So it was a wonderful experience, and I never want to go through it again. Your greatest yeah. film experience, you said. It was the best film I've ever yeah. been. I think yeah. Prince is a wonderful film, but in terms of naturalness and, yeah. and being a part of something that's that, that changed American musical yeah. theater, yeah, I think that's the one I'd say. If you only Interestingly, Milos, when he had friends over who'd seen, of course, his great films— he, they, they, they'd seen Amadeus and they'd seen Cuckoo's Nest. He would always show his guests at home in Connecticut hair. I mean, in summer, what are you going to do? You want to watch a musical. You right, know? right, but it's, right. But it's really a lovely... Holds up very well. Oh, I watched, and you know, the ending breaks your you heart. You know, I was thinking today, I said to the guys who fell in love with it, these young guys who'd never seen it, um, when you listen to uh, old, old, you listen to uh, old singers from the 20s, and they sound like they're a million miles away. It's the 20s. It's, it's it, you know, I can't name, I can name you some of the singers who sang in a way that was so odd. and Like Rudy Valley, you mean? Yes, that exactly. Kind of okay. Yeah. Same period, Rudy Valley. You listen to Rudy Valley, and it's like it's, 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 it's some period in some strange place. You listen to Fats Waller. And he's right next to you on the piano. It's present. It's now. It's it's a guy who's in your hmm. face with his voice and music. And hair feels like that to me. We aren't being... It's not period. It's people with real feelings that are really present and really kind of contemporary. Yeah. And Cheryl Barnes singing Easy to Be Hard is one of those gorgeous things it's I've beautiful. ever seen on film. It's beautiful. Now, Frank... And I like the changes. Frank said to me, you're not going to ask Street to do this, are you? <laughs> and I <laughs> said, <laughs> fuck you. I am. <laughs> I want to no, sing. No, I'm not going to take all my clothes off. Oh, I want to. I want to sing "Age of Aquarius" with you. Is that the one you want to do? Yes, yes. I don't think I know. I never I sang it in the movie. You sing good. He, he sings "Good Morning Starshine" yes. in the movie. Okay. No, I. Who you me? Sing, you sing the I group. sing seven songs. Yeah. Okay. Right. okay this Wait, is going to be really are embarrassing. Are you going to be playing the music? Is there music? Yeah, I think I've got to carry. Is there music? There is. There's, 
This is the one we want to do? All right, yes. listen, I'll yes. do it. Yes. By the way, I have to tell you, <laughs> well, in, in my history of movies, I just finished, okay, I just finished co-starring with Dolly Parton in a Christmas musical movie. Cool. And Christine Baranski. And I took it because I said, I've got to do a movie musical every 40 years just to kind of keep things kind of Absolutely. You know, sharp. Yeah. So here we okay. go. I'm not so sure how sharp this will play be. music? This is going to be. Are you going to sing? No. Why not? I'm just going to watch you two. <laughs> Who's going to come in first? I'm going to watch the two pros. Right? Who's going to come in first? <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> Let's both at the same time. All right. Go ahead. Oh my here God. we go. <laughs> Turn it up. Why don't you let Creed this do is, the... Wait, 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 wait. Hold, hold on. Stop that thing. Stop that thing. Hold on. Fine. That's for the fucking Broadway show. Where's the movie music? All he's got is karaoke. Oh, for God's That's sake. That's what All right. we have. All right. So don't then now... A... Don't come on my podcast and be a fucking pain in the ass. All right. All right. I'll do it. Why don't you let Treat do the first part? No, only, let's do it together. Only okay. because I I'm... love you. Okay. 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 But I only love you tonight. Tomorrow we're done. Yes. Okay. Here we go. All bets are off. Here. All right. Here we go. Me 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 me. Can you sing? No. Oh, brilliantly. Oh boy, it's gonna be you. When the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars. That peace will guide the planets And love will steer the dark This is the dawning of the age Of Aquarius Age of Aquarius Aquarius That's yelling Affleck. That's my <laughs> that's my Gilbert Gottfried image. Not bad. <laughs> Let the sunshine. Let the sunshine in the sunshine. Wow! I'm Gilbert Gottfried singing here. That's me. Sunshine! Aquarius! <laughs> <laughs> this is never going to get on the air. Oh, oh this my is God. funny. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Oh, my God. All right, what else you got? You're a good sport. We're done. I want you to tell me about meeting Jimmy Stewart since we brought him up. And you also met Hitchcock, Orson Welles, and Gene Kelly. Well, it was Night of 100 Stars. Wow. And I was 112. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It was one extraordinary night. Uh, I was doing Pirates of Penzance in New York. I saw you do Pirates of Penzance. All these guys were there. 
And uh, I got to this thing, and I was just—it was—it was really bizarre to be seeing all the guys I've been watching on film. But they all sat quietly. And Orson Welles sat in a chair. Well, he sat in about four chairs. He <laughs> <laughs> was uh, so big, you know. And I just was there's Lucio Ball, and there's, and one of the things that was interesting. Here I was with Jimmy, uh, with uh, Jimmy Stewart and Orson, and all these guys that were, you know, uh, extraordinary stars of the period. And they were going to bring Jimmy Cagney up on... He was already sort of really kind of old and, mm-hmm. and, and frail. So they put him down on at Radio City Music Hall. You know, they have that uh, 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 thing that comes up onto the stage. Sure. What do you call that? Uh, a, a, a lift, uh, a, an lift, elevator. Yeah, yeah. elevator. Yeah. And Jimmy was down there. And they'd put him down there and they left him there. And he was alone. Oh, Christ. And everybody went, where's Jimmy? And we went, oh, my God, Jimmy's downstairs on the thing, well, is anybody looking after him? I don't know. So we all went down, and he was sitting in a chair crying because he'd been abandoned, and he couldn't move. He couldn't get out of the chair. Oh, my gosh. So we all sat with him and stayed with him until the chair went up. But they were all, you know, they were just a bunch of guys who'd, who'd done well and, and now are later part of their career. And this thing was meaningless to them. It was like, you know, another I'm here. A fundraiser. Yeah, right. yeah, fundraiser. You know, but uh, it was really an honor to meet. As a matter of fact, one of the great conversations I had with somebody was they said, you know, they had this great tribute to Albert uh, Alfred Hitchcock in Los Angeles and uh, everybody was there, you know, uh, Cary Grant and, and all the people. Oh, was this the AFI tribute? Yeah, yeah, back in L.A. And they said, but of course, everybody who went to that thing, who attended it, all the actors and everybody was there are dead. And I said, no, they're not. And I said, they said, no, they're all dead. It was like, it was, you know, it was 50 years ago. I said, they're not all dead. How do you know that? I said, because I was there. I was one of the, I was one of the young actors who got invited, and I was staring at all these extraordinary wow. people. Everybody who'd worked with Hitchcock was there. It was really great to be a part of that transitory period where the mantle sure. was being handed sure. off from the 50s stars 50s and 60s stars who'd moved on to television yeah, at some point, yeah. some with success and some not. You know, Jimmy Stewart's television shows never had success. I know. Yeah, shame. Yeah. We had Tippi Hedren here, actually, on the podcast. Oh, God. Yeah. I what mean, a Tip- great film. Kim Novak's still with us, and uh, Ava, oh, I know. Ava Marie are. Saint is still with us. I know. So. In fact, so. uh, interestingly, uh, uh, the, the wonderful actor who I just uh, I, I just worked with, uh, who stars in, in, um, in the new television series, uh, um, uh, about the family that runs the TV studios. Oh, uh, uh, who are you talking about? Uh, Succession. Brian Cox. Brian and I just did a film that's coming out this fall, and Brian said he was doing a, a Shakespeare talk at, at USC, and he looked at the audience and he froze. There was even Marie Saint yeah. there to listen to him How about discuss that? Shakespeare. He said, I was never so sort of shocked and, and, and pleased. Did you meet Alec Guinness when you did the Empire thing? Because I know you. I, know I never read met his him, book. but he's my favorite actor. Yeah, I read I both his books. Yes, I, re- I saw that. One is Blessings in Disguise, right. and, and the other is My Name Escapes Me. He is probably one of the great character actors, if not the best character actor in English history. He's great. You gave me a perfect segue. We oh. love character actors on this show, ah. and we've had a bunch of them. Bruce Dern has been here. Ah. Who else have we had? Laura here? and I did a beautiful film together. Called yes, Smooth you did. Talk. Smooth Talk. Griffin Dunn was here. Tim Matheson was here. We love. We love those. Uh, Tim is in the movie that I did with Brian Cox. There you go. Peter Riegert was here. Peter uh, Riegert we, and I have worked together too. We love character actors. You work with some a- great a- ones. Am I considered one? Um, and an occasional leading man. No, we don't consider you an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go. I think I said that three or four times already. Tell us about directing Charles Derning. Yes, in, in, uh, in the the film you, know, you made. The text. You want to talk? About, uh, uh, I was 
I, my manager called me and said, you're going to get a chance to direct a short film. And I said, oh, great. He said, and they're doing it for, I, I think it was Showtime. Mm-hmm. He said, and, uh, you know, five actors get to direct movies. And he said, um, and you're going to, and you're going to direct a film directed by, uh, uh, written by David Mamet. And I said, oh, great. And he said, the only thing is David Mamet doesn't know it yet. <laughs> okay. And I had worked with David in a lot of stuff. And, uh, you did so Water I, Engine. And, I called yeah. Dave up and, oh, I'd done theater yeah. with him too. Yeah. And I said, listen, I got a coattails question for you. I've been offered to direct a, a movie, a short film, you know, that, and, but the only thing is you have to write it. And I started to talk and he said, nah, he talks like this. That's, really, that, that's great. That's very cute. What would you like? Uh, to, what do you think it, what it should be about? And I said, well, I know something about airplanes. Okay, give me two weeks. Two weeks later, he sent me a script, and uh, we, we made it, and it won three film festivals. Yes. It's called Texan. Yes. It's a lovely little film. Dabney Coleman? Well, I, you, know, you know, it was wonderful. I, I first offered it to Gene Hackman, and the agent wrote back and said, he works for money, which I thought was the best response from an agent. <laughs> That's phenomenal. That's a great response. I've not been able to say that yet, but I will one day. <laughs> That's a great one. So I got Dabney, who I ended up co-starring with in the series, you know, a couple of years later. But Dabney and Charlie and Dana Delaney and Billy Macy, and I'm in it myself. And it was uh, it was an extraordinary experience. And we used my airplane, which was great because mm-hmm. I could fly over to to the island off of L.A. And, and, and it was really uh, watching uh, Charlie and Dabney do those scenes that David wrote. They really understood. You know, Dave Mamet writes the way people talk. And it's if you can't do mammoth to me is like the violin. If you play it badly, it is really the worst sound on earth. And if it's played well, it's the most beautiful sound on earth. And David writes the way people talk, where I'm telling you something, and I say, you know, the thing I think about. Well, here's the deal. I, you know, you know this is what I think. So people stop themselves sure. and start up. And David writes that rhythm of people talking like people think and talk. And if you can't do that, naturally, it doesn't work. Charlie and those two guys did it with great panache, and, 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 and they were gorgeous in it. That's why it probably won these festivals, yeah. not from my directing. Yeah. And it was wonderful. It was really, uh, Dabney particularly, really got Mammoth's sort of rhythm and, and, and speech. So everybody was great. It was fun. We love those actors. What about uh, somebody we had here, Don Murray? Your first film. Don Murray was great. It was, I was just a kid starting out, but it, my favorite thing about Don Murray was I didn't, you know, I didn't study people like I do now. I studied the young actors and know what they've done before I walk on, so I scare them with the fact that I know who they are. They don't know who I am. But Don had this jean jacket he wore to work every day, and there was these strings on the shoulder, like gold strings sewn in, and I said, what, what are those strings on the shoulder of your jean jacket? He said, oh... I did a movie where I had a rope around my shoulder, and I said, well, what movie did you have a rope around your shoulder? He said, I was called Bus Stop. It was Marilyn Monroe and I. <laughs> and I was like, you work with Marilyn Monroe? Yes. He said, oh, yeah. Yeah. He told us about it. He was a nice guy. Yeah. He was, he He's was, still with us. Yeah. 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 Well, I didn't mean he was – I meant he was not making him <laughs> dead. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, mean, I was a nice guy. May he, he rest in peace. No, yes. I meant – I can't get out of this. I meant he was nice to me during the you. filming. He was My found bad. dead in his L.A. But apartment. I have to say the guy who got involved with the Heidi – Heidi, what's her name? Was Heidi Fleiss? Heidi Fleiss' boyfriend was the director. Oh, my gosh. Ivan Naj oh, yes. was his name. And I loved it because I'd never done, I think it was my first movie. Yes, I think it so was. So they would say, you know, rolling, and Sam would say, speed. 
and I'd expect him to go action, you know, and I'd wait for the action, and I'm all ready to go. It's my first movie, and I hear this this Polish voice go, "Okay, boys, let's boogie." And I was like, "Okay, that was, that was his direction." Does that mean I'm supposed to start? Is it? What about you know, one of Gil? Go ahead, Gil. You know, it's funny when you were talking about David Mamet. That was another thing. I think of people who don't understand. When people make fun of David Mamet, they'll just have the characters saying dirty words. And they don't realize there's a whole rhythm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. David it's musical. Mamet. To listen to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. It's like, it's. No, David's language. I just did last summer, uh, I did American Buffalo. Yes. And David's understanding of comedy is what, you know. Apparently, the, the the English production had no laughs, which blows my mind because I think it's one of the funniest plays I've yes. ever been in. And the opening scene, Teach comes out and does a diatribe about fucking Ruthie. And he's just furious because he took a piece of her toast on the table and she called him out for it publicly. And he's obviously one of those very yeah. violent guys who's oversensitive. So he does like a three-page diatribe, you know, about Ruthie. Yeah. And it's it's violent and it's loud and it's 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 insane, and then he sits down opposite his friend and there's a pause, in the after this violent diatribe and he goes, so what's new? <laughs> and it gets this howl if it's done correctly, but if you don't do it right, the audience doesn't know what the hell's going on. I when when I was like struggling to get any kind of work and I would do, I still am. But yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I would do like the improv and catch at night for no money. Yeah, yeah. But during the early evening hours, I had I got a job working the concessions in the Broadway theaters. You know, selling yeah, the yeah. grape drinking and T-shirts. And one of the plays that was playing when I was working the concessions was Matter of Gravity. Yeah. No, with Catherine Hepburn yeah. and Christopher Reese. And American Buffalo with Robert Duvall. John uh, Savage. Yeah, John Savage and, and Kenny, Kenneth McMillan. Kenny McMillan, who, who yeah. Milos loved working with, by the way. Yeah, he's great Kenny. in ragtime. Yeah. By the way, I have yeah. to go back a second because I auditioned. Chris and I were both up for that play. Really? And I was late to my audition with Catherine Hepburn. Oh. And I don't know why I was late, but I was late. And when I walked in, Hepburn looked at me and said, Mr. Williams, you're late. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, Miss Hepburn. I said, she said, when I was late, my father used to beat me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where to go. Oh, Lord. I was done. That was I, the end of the I remember Catherine Hepburn would come in before the audience was allowed in yet, and she'd walk around. She liked us to keep some of the doors open to get air in the theater. And one day we came in and we hadn't opened the doors yet. And she walked in and looks around at the doors and she yells out in this empty theater, The doors are closed, morons. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Gilbert you know, Gottfried talk and about, Catherine Hepburn. walking yeah. around a theater. My favorite thing, I'd just come to New York and I, I'd finally gotten the lead in Greece on Broadway after a year of being here. And it was the most extraordinary thing. It was just to be on Broadway, starring in a Broadway musical. And I was didn't know anything. I was just starting. I was going to acting class. But every night, 
I would be the last one out of the theater. I was just so excited. And I would walk out onto the stage, and there'd be one, there was always one light that was the stage light. It was just this one light. And I used to just sort of feel the energy that had been in the house just 20 minutes before, just kind of dissipating in the house. And I used to just look out at the house. It was like church. And you go out and go, wow, this is a very, very beautiful thing that we get to do. You know, I still feel that way. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. The Royale Theater. It's not the Royale anymore. It's named after somebody. Can't you remember. do that, Gil? Do you stay behind in the comedy club and soak no. up the... <laughs> <laughs> You'd be in oh. there till six in the morning. Oh. wait to leave. Another play that I was doing the concessions at, uh, Richard Burton and Equus. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. He was he was uneven, but when he hit it, boy, he was hitting yeah. it good. Gilbert sold you your snow caps that night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You may not remember. Uh, no, I do. I didn't like you very <laughs> so much. I did not like you. You were very rude and and dismissive. I tried to tell you about how good I was going to be down the road, and you had nothing to do with me. One of Gilbert's favorite actors you work with, Ben Gazzara. I believe he directed you yes. in something. Any, yes. any memories of the great Ben Gazzara? Yes. Okay, we're moving on. Yes. Okay. Martin Landau. Martin Landau, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Which who 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 first ben one? <laughs> it was not a, not a good time okay. for, oh, for, well, for well, Ben. We, we had on Dick Cavett, and when Husbands came out, he brought on the cast of of John Cassavetes, you know about Ben Gazzara, was anybody and sober? Peter Falk. No, they got plastered on the air, and yeah. they came across like total assholes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was sad. You know, I was at the point where I really wanted to make a good movie, and I really liked Ben enormously. Um, we've all had our bad nights, but Ben had a bad night every night on the film, and it was actually um, kind of sad. Um, you know, I think Ben had a, had a style of life where he would drink too much, and he'd go to Florida and dry out, and then he'd be okay for a couple a year or so, and then you know it was it was it was it was too bad because it was a nice group of people. But we met our best friends in England and still are very close to them, so good things happen. And what about Landau or Glenn Ford? Love Marty Landau. Yeah. Love Marty Landau. I mean, Heard great things about him. Ha actually, back this to is, Hitchcock. Okay, back to Hitchcock. So I did a film last year with Jennifer Lopez called Second Act. You mentioned it, and we went out to Long Island, and it was weird because I, as I said, I was a preppy from I taught sailing as a kid, and we were at this. We were doing a scene where we were doing eight man skulls, and I went, I know this place. Well, I realized I'd raced sailboats at this yacht club when I was a kid, and then we stayed at this place, and I looked at the house. It was this big house in Long Island. I said, I know this. It was the house they used for Cary Grant and Hitchcock's film, oh, how cool. North by Northwest. Wow. And we stayed in the house from North by Northwest. You and as you well buff. know, Marty yes. was there when the alcohol got poured down. Cary Grant, one of the funniest, most comedic, scary scenes when he drives the car. On the cliffs, where there are no cliffs in Long Island, it's all on the PCH. Yes. And of course, it's all cliffs. But uh, Marty uh, was a wonderful person to work with, and he, I got the James Dean stories. They were best friends. Yeah, we were shooting uh, in Eastern Europe, and it was it, he was he's one of the real great early you know actors who cared about the work and still did. You know, he's wonderful. And by the way, when I'd not met him at all, and I was nobody, I was doing the Eagle as landed, and my son, my was it my no i didn't have a son it must have been my nephew loved this tv show he was in that was like space stuff space 1999 thank you and he gave me a couple of the fake 
you know, ray gun. Uh-huh. Very and cool. He was very, very generous and lovely. Uh, uh, good guy. That's an early role, too, for you. Eagle has landed with uh, Mike, Michael Caine Third and film. Donald Sutherland. Third film. Yeah. Bob Duvall, who yeah. I ended up co-starring with. Duvall, you did a lot with. Yep. D.B. Cooper. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my third film with John. And John Sturgis, who I, you know. I was always the kid that wanted to sit at the feet of the master. I would go, to, you know, these guys are all going out chasing girls. I would sit, yeah, I'd have dinner with John Sturgis. I had more dinners with Sergio Leone during the making of Once Upon a Time in We've got to ask you about that, too. And, and how you fell asleep in the middle of a take. Well, that was extraordinary. <laughs> Bob, Bob De Niro had to wake me up. Yeah. Listen, we're all out late at night, and there were, it took the, the – listen, the Italians take forever to light and, you know. I was in this comfy hospital bed with nice pillows. Yeah, it's a and, good scene. you know, after two years, they're, they're – you know, they're two – excuse me, after two hours, they're, you know, they're ready to shoot. Nobody said, better check treat. Are you ready? I was out cold. You know, and all, I just remember Bob – I see Bob De Niro shaking my shoulder, smiling at me. I'm going, hey, what's up? He's like, you know, we're, we're in a scene. Would you like to say some words? <laughs> <laughs> and you got to shoot at Gina Tate there where they, where they shot Gina Chita. every— Yeah, Gina Chita. Is that how they say it? Gina Chita. Gina Chita. And I learned to speak Italian because I did about 10 movies after that, so I became quite, oh, really? quite good at Italian. That is that a wild nice. movie with a lot going on. Yeah, four hours. Yeah. Yeah, I loved Sergio Leone. I mean, working with the Italians was like working, like watching people paint great paintings. They were every every department was an art department. The wardrobe was an art department. The, the, even the post is one of the most beautiful posters yeah. I've ever seen. Well, wasn't he trying to? Wasn't he more interested in the visuals uh, while making that film than the performances? Oh, no. well, we, for a guy who didn't care about performance, we did a lot of takes. Yeah, I think he cared about performance. Yeah. I think he did. It's sort of sad how they took they cut the film. They took the film away from. Well, they him put and, it back though. Yeah, they got finally, it back together. Finally, yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you you know I I, I honor that film. There's some very tough scenes to watch it. The rape it scene is, is horrible. It horrific is. And Even the scene where you being having the gasoline poured on you is. And hard, by the way, that hose had had gasoline in it that day, so I didn't. There was no acting required as as. Cary Grant used to write NAR on scenes. No acting required. Love that. Yeah. And I'm going to make Gilbert watch things to do in Denver when you're dead because your character. Just remember the word spongy. <laughs> <laughs> Critical Bill is quite an invention. Yeah. That whole movie. Gary, uh, that was a wonderful script by, uh, by Scott. Scott Rosenberg. A lovely script. Yeah, yeah. He created a language. Yeah. Yeah, like the Coen brothers do. Chungo Din. Yeah, like a Miller's Crossing. How do you call somebody a Chungo Din? I don't know. It's a, that that movie is nuts yeah. from start to finish. I and, loved that part. And everybody's doing really I good work. I had more fun with that role. I always love if I get a if I get a character part where I'm chewing scenery, I'm happy. Well, you do play a good psycho. I, I must say. Well, it's it's you know somebody asked my wife. He said, "How did he, how did he get to that?" She says, "What are you talking about? He's like that at home. That's who he is." <laughs> <laughs> Will you take Gilbert up in one of your planes? Sure. I'd love to. I'd be you know honored. he's a pilot, Gil. Yes, I'd be I, honored. I heard about that. I, Beverly I, said I you took Bob her up. I flew Bob De Niro and Chris Walken to Cuba. Wow! My God! I flew Harvey Keitel from Santa, San Francisco down to L.A. I've flown everybody. <laughs> We're going to let this man go home. Yes, Treat this was you. fantastic. Thank you. And, and I think my new favorite episode. When the moon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> when the moon is in the seventh house. How do you make a career out of that? I mean, that's a really good question. I want to do what you do. You do nothing. You yell and you make money. I want, it, I want this guy's career, okay? I want to talk like 
this and make a million dollars. <laughs> One last impression for you. You familiar with an actor named John MacGyver? Yeah. Sure, hit him, Gil. <laughs> Everything in this company must be run according to schedule. We will have no slackers here. What do you think? Every. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do one. I'm not going to say who it is. I'm going to take it out of their skulls. Nice. <laughs> Treat us, Brando. So much more to ask you, but we got to get out of here. Will you come back and play with us another time? No. Okay, good. Yes, of course. You were fun. Thanks. Uh, what a blast. Oh, my God. All right. Gil, wrap the show. <laughs> <laughs> the man has to go home. Gil, yeah, wrap the show, Gil. The, the engineer has to go home. Why did you wrap it up as Gilbert Gottfried? I don't know. Give me the words. And okay. Give me the words. Yeah, you, you to, this is Gilbert Gottfried. Where, the, here. Give me where, the words to read. Here. Write it down. I'll do it for you. I oh, I can tell you what to say, and I'll do it. You can this part. Godfrey's, has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal. <laughs> right, let's see if they can tell it's me or you. Okay, there you go. Okay. That's the name of the show. All right. <laughs> this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. Thank you for listening. Treat Williams, we love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Beverly. <laughs> Long, beautiful hair, shining, gleaming, steaming, flaxen, waxen. Give me down to there, shoulder length along the Dear baby, damn mama, everywhere, daddy, daddy, hey, 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 let it fly in the breeze and get caught in the trees. Give a home to the fleas in my hair. A home for fleas, a hive for the buzzing bees. And as for birds, there ain't no words for the beauty, the splendor, the wonder of my hair. Blow it, show it, long as I can blow it my hair. Long, sweet, curly, fuzzy, snaggy, shaggy, ratty, matty, oily, greasy, fleecy, shining, gleaming, steaming, flaxing, waxing, bloody, poppy, darling, twisted, faded, raining, pounded, barwood, and confetti, bangle, tangle, dangle, and spaghetti. Oh, can you see my If you can, then my hair's too short, down to here, down to there, down to there, down to where it stops by itself. When they see me in my toga My toga made of blonde Brilliant chain, biblical hair My hair like Jesus wore it Hallelujah, I adore it Hallelujah, Mary loved the sun Why don't my mother love me? Hey, blow it, show it Long as I can blow it Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn 